So, Last week, I was not here, but Pastor Dan Wetterstrom, our, our senior pastor, was here, and he kicked off this series of Lent and this, uh, this season of Lent and this series, which is all about polarization. Uh, the image that we want you to have in mind when you think of polarization and when you think of this series is this image of magnets. Magnets, if you play with them at all, and my guess is you're adults, you might play with them just as much as kids. There, there's like this, this invisible magnetic force when you stick two magnets together, you try to bring them together, even though you can't see it, uh, they, they often like push apart. No matter how hard you try to bring them together, they're never going to fully come together. And it seems like in so many ways, in so many places, and around so many topics these days, uh, especially in our country, we find ourselves in this position where we hold beliefs, we have identities, that as they come in contact with other beliefs, other identities, no matter how hard we push, no matter how hard we will them to come together to try to get along, it's like we can't do it. We just get pushed into completely different corners. Now, on top of that, we have like these individual beliefs, we have these individual identities, but they often stack on top of other beliefs and identities. So we might have a religious identity, but then we have a, uh, a racial identity or a cultural identity or an ethnic identity or a geographical identity. Oh, Minnesota's different from Florida, folks. Was reminded of that this past week. We are, we are very different very different identities, right? Southern is different from Northern and Midwestern. That's another identity that gets stacked on top. Uh, uh, did I say racial identity? I don't think I said racial identity. If I did, racial is another one that goes on top. Uh, sexual identity can go on there as well. And so, as those identities stack on top of each other, if one identity comes in contact with an, another one, just one, it activates all of those other ones. And so that magnetic push, which is strong when it's just the one identity, uh, is, is stacked on top of all those other ones and activates all those other ones where it becomes even more difficult for us to come together, which I would say is a problem. <laughs> you may or may not think that is a problem, but as, as a church and as pastors, as we went into this season of Lent, we said, this is a problem uh, for a number of reasons couple different reasons. Number one is we live in a country with 330 million people who are different from one another. We live in a world of about 8 billion people. So just like the, the logistical fact of we have to figure out how to live with people who are different from us, there's that. Polarization can be a problem with just figuring out how to live together. There's also this fact of uh, we are people who are who say that we're followers of Jesus, and Jesus was intimately engaged in this work of bringing people together, even and especially people who disagreed on very fundamental things around beliefs and identity. So if we're followers of Jesus, we need to be engaged in this work as well. And then as a church, we said, you know what? There are many churches that are actually making this worse 
and they're actually increasing the polarization. And so as a church, as individual followers of Jesus, we said we need to engage on this topic of polarization, not so we can, like, make everything okay, not so we can agree on all of the things, not so we can allow abuse to continue just to make sure we maintain relationships, but so that we can live as followers of Jesus. As we can live as people who have to be alongside other human beings in the world so that we can love God and love others well, so we can reach new people and so that we can help to make the world a better place for all of us to live. So that is why we are spending this time during this season focusing on this topic of polarization. Now here's a question though. <clears throat> is polarization bad? I thought about using this as, uh, as our connection point question, and then I thought that might actually be a topic that all of you were like wanting to step back away from. <laughs> you would disengage in the process simply because of the question that I asked. But the question that I want to kind of introduce with today is, is polarization bad? Is, is it bad to disagree with other people, like about fundamental things in ways that maybe separate us at times? Or should we all just say, we got to get over it, we got to move forward together, we got to bring ourselves together, we got to be united, we got to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya? You might, like the first thought might be, yeah, we got to we got to do that. We got to eliminate polarization. We got to figure out how to come together, how to be united on all of the things. And even and especially if you are a follower of Jesus, you might think that. Jesus brought people together, right? We have this whole section of one of the, the gospel accounts, uh, the gospel according to Matthew, which is one of the four biographies about the life of Jesus. There is this section at the beginning of the book called the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody hear of that before? The Sermon on the Mount, you can think of it as like Jesus' greatest hits. This is like the Cliff Notes version. So it's, at the, it's in the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, and it was compiled, it was probably not given at one single time, but it was like a compilation of all of the greatest hits of Jesus. If you are going to know anything about the life and teachings of Jesus and what he wanted his followers to know and then to do, you would go to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there, there's several different sections within that section that goes something like this. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So Jesus goes back to these old teachings that they all would have been familiar with and says, all right, you may have heard about this low bar that all of us are con uh, supposed to be able to clear. That low bar was great, but I have this higher bar that I expect all of my followers to be able to clear or be uh, trying to clear at the very least. There's polarization in the world, but we should all be united, maybe? Well, this is one of the teachings that is tucked into this section. Uh, this is Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder, down here, easy bar, right? And whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment, and whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to fiery 
hell. So here Jesus is, is saying, all right, do you remember when your ancestors came out of slavery in Egypt? Do you remember when they were about to move into this land that would be their own? Do you remember when God gave them instructions about the fundamental things that they would have to do uh, in order to be God's people in the world? Do you remember when one of those things was don't murder each other? That was a good one, right? It's a good one. Hopefully an easy one. We can all agree on that low bar. Well, guess what I say to you, friends? Those who are angry with other people and those who uh, call other people names like fool are just as guilty as someone who murders. Get along. So it's easy to read something like that, right? And think, whoa, that's super strict. But as a follower of Jesus, you know, we ought to be following in Jesus' footsteps. He's all about uh, bringing people together and getting along. He would be against polarization, right? Well, uh, this story continues and Jesus' life continues and we get to see him interacting with, with lots of different people and their responses to him. And later on in this very same story about the life of Jesus, here is something that happens and what Jesus says. This is in Matthew 23. So, uh, I'm really bad with math. 15! 15, 15 chapters later. This is in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The experts in the law and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, pay attention to what they tell you and do it. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads, hard to carry, and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing even to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by people, for they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, and elaborate greetings in the marketplaces, and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." But woe to you, experts in the law and Pharisees, hypocrites! You keep locking people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you neither enter nor permit those trying to enter to go in. Woe to you, experts in the law and you Pharisees, hypocrites! You cross land and sea to make one convert, and when you get one, you make him twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, whoever swears by the temple is bound by nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. Blind fools! Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Hachimachi! Whew. Like, relentless, right? Jesus is just going at them. What on earth is happening here? He just, we just read, like, from this same book, 
from this same author, from this same biography about the life of Jesus, he just said, you are not to be angry with other people, and you are definitely not supposed to call them fools. And here Jesus is calling these people fools. And not only that, children of hell. What is going on here? This seems like a major contradiction, right? Uh, this is not a contradiction. And the, the reason is, is not that there are no contradictions in the Bible. Oh my goodness, we could get into conversation about that. This has nothing to do with the contradiction. Uh, what is happening here is Jesus and his biographer Matthew know exactly what they are doing. Uh, last week, one of the things that Dan mentioned in his message was that there were these different factions in the Jewish community at this time, uh, at, uh, during the life of Jesus. And, and one of those factions was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were well known for being rule followers. They followed the rules really closely. They took the rules really seriously. And they wanted to do everything that they could to follow the rules themselves and to help other people to follow the rules. Eh, encourage other people to follow the rules. Eh, force people to follow the rules. And they weren't always super generous with it either. Uh, and, and in fact, they could be very militaristic in it in some ways. You have to follow these rules or you're getting kicked out of the kingdom altogether. You might know of the Pharisees because uh, they were one of Jesus' favorite punching bags and one of uh, Jesus' followers' favorite punching bags. E even over the last 2,000 years, the word Pharisee has come to mean things like hypocrite or uh, someone who is way too rigid. Um, and in some cases, it's actually been used as like an anti-Semitic slur. Well, Again, what on earth is going on here? Here's this community of people. Yeah, they have their problems. Um, but why on earth does Jesus, like, change this rule for himself about calling someone a fool? You don't call someone a fool, and then he's calling them fools, right? Well, here's the deal. Uh, among all of these different factions at the time, Jesus had the most in common with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In fact, they had so much in common that most scholars think that Jesus was actually himself a Pharisee. How many of you knew that? Yeah. So, Pharisees get a bad rap because Jesus is giving them that bad rap, but Jesus himself was a Pharisee. Maybe, probably. Scholars kind of disagree, but most, most serious biblical scholars have said Jesus himself was probably a Pharisee, which is exactly why he was so hard on them. What, he, what Jesus is not doing here is pointing the figure at a religious other. He's not saying, he's not othering these people and, and shouting down at these people that he has these big disagreements with. He is instead refocusing on like the family dysfunction, saying, I thought we had all of these things in agreement, and yet this is how you act. Rather than pointing at somebody else, he's looking internally to his own family, his own community, his own religious identity, and saying, you figure it out first. 
we have to figure it out first before we start critiquing other people. This is an example of, like, well, first of all, Jesus was clearly not too upset about being polarizing, right? Ask the Pharisees and the teachers of the law whether he was polarizing or not. He was. Like, these were hard, harsh, explicit, direct, even polarizing words that he had for these people. I don't think Jesus was too concerned about polarization, to be honest. I think that he would have been more concerned about the effects of polarization and specifically the effect not of polarization, but of calcification. So if the image in your mind about polarization is like that magnetic force which, which pushes people away, if it's pushing you back to your homes, if that's polarization, calcification is being pushed back to your homes and going inside, closing the doors, and locking all the padlocks. There might be a grease fire on the stove. The foundation might be crumbling. There might be a leak coming from the ceiling. Your racist uncle might be in there too. But have you seen those neighbors? Have you heard what they believe? Have you seen what they do? Have you seen the food that they eat? Or the normal food that they refuse to eat? Have you seen the, the normal holidays that they refuse to celebrate, but then the weird ones that they do celebrate? And it is exactly to that, not the polarization, but the calcification where you go into your homes, you lock all the doors because of those others out there that Jesus says, stop peeking out your curtains at the neighbors. You turn around and you sit down at your own family table. Let's sit down at our own family table and deal with the dysfunction in this room first. And if that means that that racist uncle of yours gets up from the table and walks out the door, it means that there is a spot open for that neighbor to come over. So, practically. What does this mean for us practically? As, as those of us who say we want to be able to figure out how to get along with, live alongside 330-some million people in our country, 8 billion people in the world, how do, we have, how do we have these interactions? How do we overcome some of that polarization? Practically, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? The first thing that it means is that we deal with our own household first. It means that we have the, conversa the hard conversations with our own folks. We look in the mirror even. Maybe it is a conversation with yourself about this is who we are and what we have said is most important and what we say we believe. Is that in fact being borne out? And if not, let's confront it and deal with it, fools. You say that you're a follower of Jesus. Are you, in fact, following Jesus? You say that you want to be about growing goodness. Are the things that you're doing actually growing goodness? We as a church say that we want to be expanding our circle of inclusion. Are we doing that in the things that we say and the things that we do? And if not, fools, deal with it. Don't point at the other people. Deal with it yourself. So that's number one. We got to figure out how to look in the mirror, sit down at the, at the table and have those hard conversations with ourselves, with our families, with our church. 
And then secondly, what we need to do is we need to figure out how to have conversations with those others as well, those neighbors, those religious others, those people who don't look like, don't celebrate, don't eat, don't uh, believe the exact same things as we do. The goal should not be conversion. It should not be coercion. It should be conversation. What are the things that we can agree on? Where are the places that we can come together? Where are the things that we don't necessarily agree, but we can come to mutual understanding about? How can we figure out what it means for us to live alongside one another, even and especially when we disagree on fundamental things? If we can do those two things, if we can look in the mirror, sit down at the table, have those conversations, and then invite those others to the table as well, imagine how much better we will be off, how much better our churches will be off, how much better our country will be off, how much better off our world will be. So, may that be so.